Tennessee. Holler on Twitter and Facebook. We also have hollers across the state. And that's all thanks to your support. We really do appreciate all the small dollar donations that go a long way. We also want to thank Lisa Parker for buying or selling a home in Middle Tennessee. She's really supportive of us. So make sure you use her if you're looking for a realtor. That's one way to support the hauler. One of the stories that we posted about this week that I think caught a lot of people's eyes about how twisted it really is and you know, how we're seeing a guy who obviously did something wrong get off was this story involving Ashley Pereira, who's here today. And just to set it up, Alabama pastor who raped teen gets probation. Here's why. And just as a little bit of backstory, this is a story that happened in Alabama, but where both of the players in the story now live in Tennessee. Ashley, when she was 14, was raped is the technical term. It's what happened by a pastor at the time who was 20 she was 14 and her parents then pressured her to marry him they had a child together uh she eventually divorced him they now share custody of that child and he faced charges but apparently is now going to get off without jail time so why don't we start from the beginning ashley first of all thank you so much for joining us today yeah thank you for having me Great. And you're in Nashville. I should let people know. His name is Jason Greathouse. When did you first meet him? Um, I met Jason when I was 14. And actually, the um, some of the stories actually got his age wrong. He was actually 24. So okay. there was a 10 year difference. That's a big difference at that age, especially. Yeah, I I, I met him um, through a, a Christian bookstore. Um, my my parents took me out of school when I was really young, at thirteen, because I had an eating disorder. I was very, I was struggling heavily with that, so they said they thought it was best to homeschool at that time. Um, and my mom went into the Christian bookstore in order to get a lot of resources for homeschoolers, um, which is quite a normal thing. Um, and he had expressed that he was a youth pastor, um, and that he would invite me and my brother to come attend his church. Um, and so I was about 14 at that time. And this was in Alabama, which is where you grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my dad was in the army, so we traveled around a lot and he was gone a lot, but, um, yeah, it happened uh, kind of like a suburb military type town. And how does he go from just being a youth pastor to living with you guys? So what happened was, you know, Jason was a single guy um, and he would pastor on Wednesdays and he was going through a financially struggling time, he wanted to go back to college. So my parents or not really my parents, but my mom opened up a room and said, Hey, we'll rent a room to you for free so that you can go and kind of finish what you need to for school. Okay. So he takes her up on that. He moves in. And what was your dynamic with him at that point? Well, with a lot of young girls who struggle with eating disorders, you know, I had a lot of self-confidence issues. You know, I didn't think I was beautiful and he really helped me through my eating disorder and also gave me a lot of self-confidence, made me feel good about myself. So I leaned heavily into him as a mentor at that time. And 
the way that he preached was um, at the youth ministry was just so progressive in a sense, um, but just so, what's the word? Like it, it was just not as, you know, cardboard as <laughs> a lot of other, um, you know, youth ministries around town. So it was a lot of wanting that validation and wanting that self-confidence and doing things and talking to him and trying to get closer to that person that was giving me the validation that I wanted at that time um, to tell me, you know, that I'm great and that I'm worthy and that I am beautiful and this and so on and so on. Um, and he lived in the house. So we spent, and I was homeschooling myself through high school um, or junior high at the time I was in eighth grade. Um, and he, he was just around all the time. So, uh, you know, I have to say, it seems sort of extra, not extra. There's no way to be extra or lesser, but, you know, fairly predatory to like, take advantage of a situation that's based on scripture and spirituality, you know, that seems like an added element to this where, you know, he is sort of using this perch as a pastor, as a theoretically a man of God to ingratiate himself with you, with your family. Do you think this was his plan or was this something that sort of happened and, and how does that play into it for you? Um, I, I'm not, I'm not so sure because, you know, over time, you know, I had, um, you know, one thing led to another and, and one night at my family's home, I lost my virginity to Jason. And I remember being so not understanding, you know, sometimes a lot of people in their first time, they don't even know like what technically counts as intercourse and understanding what that is, especially as a child. And so when I told my mom, you know, her response was, you know, absurd. Now looking back is just, how was it, you know? Wow. Um, and that as a teenager, you know, we're taught in the church and just in general to save ourselves until marriage. And that was a concept that was constantly pushed on my brother and I, and also that if we did give our bodies to somebody, I mean, in the eyes of God, that's the person that we're supposed to be with. So it was um, mainly a thing where, you know, it was my responsibility um, if I was going to do actions of an adult that um, now I'm an adult, <laughs> um, that I owe it to God and this person to make things work because it was my fault that I gave my body to this man. So... It was just so, it's so tough looking back. You know, my mother and I don't have a relationship anymore or we hadn't, you know, there was a lot of trying to reconcile over the years, you know, cause with anybody you want and you crave that relationship with your parents or your mother or you know, so many bad things have happened um, and so, so much emotional trauma. But, you know, eventually that just had to, you know, you just have to, let things go sometimes even if people even if people are family you know if they continue to hurt you sometimes it's best to break but that's later in the years um at that time totally new 
So, first of all, I just want you to know people are saying things like Jacaranda saying, thank you for sharing your story. You're <clears throat> helping so many youngsters right now, and I absolutely agree. Um, I, I want to ask you just on that point about your parents' reaction, especially your mother's. How was it? I mean, wow, that's just a shocking thing to hear from a mother when a 14-year-old is telling her that a 24-year-old raped her or had sex with her. Um, do you think that is rooted in sort of the patriarchal uh, views that, you know, it's the woman's fault, it's the girl's fault, and, you know, it can't be the man's fault? Is there something to that? Um, I mean, I've had conversations within the last year with my mother, you know, her saying that she would be defending Jason at a potential trial. Um, you know, she flew into Nashville and stayed with him, I think, this past weekend, um, just in case we to have one so that she could be there to speak on his behalf. You know? um, she has quoted to me time and time again, you know, I was a permissive child, you know, I had never had sexual or anything like that, you know. I was a good kid, right? I never got in trouble. Sunday, I went to, you know, church Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, got A's and B's in school, was getting ready to go to college and was just struggling, you know, with my mental health and that eating disorder. And, you know, I wasn't the type of kid that I feel like on the like did much of anything wrong at that time. <laughs> right. Like, even if I was the most horrible kid, that it made a difference. No, absolutely. So uh, <clears throat> at what point did, first of all, how, how long did this go on? And at what point do you realize you're, you're pregnant? And what is that moment like? Um, so Jason lived with us for about a year and a half. Um, he, he rented a home, I feel like, just to you know, hide things from the church that he was with us. Um, he never even lived in the house that he was paying for. Um, but he lived with us for a year and a half. And um, there was a time where I felt Jason was intentionally trying to impregnate me. And I, you know, um, retaliated. And I, I told a girlfriend of mine, she was 15. And she was like, you know, you don't have to do this. Like, it's not your responsibility to make things work. It's okay with other people in the future. You don't have to be with this person the rest of your life. I feel that you need to, you need to just know that things aren't happening in him. And I agreed and I tried, but at that point there was just so much guilt that was put on me that we had already been so far into the abuse that it was my responsibility to make things work and then eventually I got pregnant you know um and that you know the pregnancy and the thoughts of that you know honestly my focus was just being a mother at that time and um I think I was I was still struggling with the eating disorder and I felt that I needed to focus on being healthy at that time protecting himself. No part of you thought about terminating the pregnancy? No. I mean, we were a very religious family. Um, and I, I wouldn't have ever had an option. 
honestly. I mean, I was 16. I didn't have a job. Even if I wanted to, I mean, I, I didn't have money to do it. And my parents were definitely, we had some doctors call us and say, you know, is that an option for you? And my mom was like, no, that's not an option for her, you know? So that was, that was never an option for me. So you were homeschooling. So it's not as though you were going to school while you were pregnant and, and throughout the duration of the pregnancy was Jason there throughout that? I mean, was this like, okay, we're going to make this work. Was it that kind of thing? Um, yeah, I think that that's what, um, my parents had, like my mom had pushed, like now that I was pregnant, like I had to make things work or we had to make things work in order to normalize the situation so that the were close friends or family wouldn't press charges. So the whole dynamic was surrounded by protecting Jason, not protecting me, but not wow. protecting my future or him. It was all around protecting him. And being married and being pushed to that was four days after I turned 16. Um, and it was all in an, an attempt to protect him. And did you already have the child? No, no. I was okay, pregnant. so you were pregnant at the time. And mm -hmm. so then they start pushing you to marry him. And is any part of anybody saying, hey, by the way, like this has been illegal? No. Well, okay. uh, yes, yes. We knew it was illegal. But, you know, my mom and Jason and other people are like, Olivia, my, my child, would have to spend the rest of her life knowing that her father was a sex offender and that he would be in prison and I would be a single mom and I would have to do everything on my own. And I can never possibly be with another person because, you know, I've given my body and now I'm having a child with this person. And in God's eyes, I can't with another person. And so there's all this pressure of making things work and becoming an adult. Because if I'm going to do adult things, then I need to take responsibility for what I've done and raise this child and get a job and finish high school on my own. My mom didn't homeschool me. I homeschooled myself online. And it was all the responsibility was being put on me Yeah. Um, at that time. So once I got pregnant, I was viewed as an adult. I wasn't viewed as an, a, a child or anything. I was Jason was viewed as, uh, viewed, as, viewed as an adult. I was viewed as an adult. So they just normalized everything. But I was a child, you know. Um, once I got a job, I was working over 40 hours a week. I was breastfeeding. I was trying to finish high school. And where, where, where were you working? Uh, I was working at Ruby Tuesdays as a hostess. Okay. Um, and... and Olivia was living with you. Yeah, we all lived with my parents. So and Jason was still living there. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, and and at what point did the divorce come? So when I started working at Ruby Tuesdays, um, a lot of other people, you know, I told them my story, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, this is it, and everything's okay, and this is normal, and they were like, no, it's not normal. <laughs> no, like, what are you talking about? And um, there was quite a few people that helped me realize what had happened. And I think when I turned 
I was getting close to 17, I just snapped. Um, I snapped and I, I, I was like, oh my God, like what has happened to me? Um, you know, it, it was going from like, how could someone that age be attracted to somebody who's 14, who's 15? Like, how could, how could that happen? How can it be a person of, it just all clicked at one time. And I called, I remember calling my mom. I had just gotten off of work. I had an $800 paycheck in my hand. And I said, I'm not coming, I'm not coming back. I'm taking my kid and I'm going to college and I'm getting a divorce. This should have never happened. You should have never let this happen. And I'm going to take control of my life. Um, Do you remember what made it snap for you? Was there something that happened? I think, no, I think I just, my age, like I just, even like a year or two in age difference from 14 to 16 and a half to 17. And then other people being like, that's such a messed up situation. Mm -hmm. and me being like, Oh my God. Yeah, it is. And I think it was partly, um, victim's guilt and denial at that time too. Um, trying to be in denial of it, trying to be in denial, like this isn't happening to me. This isn't happening to me. Everything's going to be okay. God's going to take care of me. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. You know, my parents think it's okay. So obviously it must be okay. Like everything's going to be okay. And um, it just took me and myself and like the people surrounding me being like, it's not, it's not okay. And um, as this is happening, is he still pastoring? Is he still preaching the word of God to people? No. He stopped as soon as I um, started showing. Okay. And because people knew and it was, I'm sure, was it a small town? Oh, yeah, for sure. So people knew it was a small town. People were probably talking about that. And nobody wants to hear what he has to say about what Jesus has to say uh, at that point. So you go to school with Olivia. How did the divorce go? Um, I spent half of that $800 check on a divorce <laughs> on a lawyer. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, we had been through the options of pressing charges, but I'm not sure what happened at that moment. Like if they just didn't look into it good enough, but they said that I couldn't press charges cause we got married and that if I wanted a divorce, that's fine. But I was 16. If any of you have paid for a divorce, you know how expensive that can be. He was like, if you contest at all, you were going to spend thousands of dollars. And he was like, do you have that? And I'm like, no, I'm 16. Like, who's going to have that? So we had to settle um, with joint custody and no child support. So you had a terrible divorce because you got really nothing out of it. He doesn't even, so child support isn't even a part of that settlement. So no. he doesn't pay child support at all? He's never paid a dime of child support. Oh, my goodness. And what your parents are basically on his side through all this? Yeah. Um, I also had to emancipate myself at 16 because by being separated, I was a dependent, and I was going to be put in the foster care system. Hmm. So uh, luckily, this attorney, his name was Tad Morgan, um, was so kind and represented me pro bono in an emancipation from my parents, just so I could sign on an apartment. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, it, it didn't help much because I, you know, couldn't, well, I guess it prevented me from going to the foster care system, but I mean, 
I couldn't even afford a regular apartment at that time because I was making $10 an hour. And the wild part of this, I mean, obviously there's a million wild parts, but one aspect of this is you have joint custody. So you're tethered to him as you're trying to pull away from him through the existence of this person, which I'm assuming is probably the most important thing in your world, you know, so while she's important to you, she's also a connection to him. Has that, how does that manifest through all this? Um, but uh, can you, can you rephrase? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying like you, you, you can't really get away from him because you share a child with him. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I could never because of the court, um, because I was never recognized as a victim. You know, I don't even think they put two and two together with our ages and what was going on or anything. Um, just joint custody. So. Did you um, bring that up in the proceedings that this is how this happened? No, we couldn't afford to go to court. Wow. Like I couldn't afford it. You know, it's like one of those things where you pay like three, $500 just to get a divorce and get papers drawn up and you sign it, it's presented to the judge. And then there's no at like actual like court hearing. Right. So it was just a, it was just a technicality basically. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he was like, honey, like, unless you have thousands of dollars or if your parents have like this much, oh. cleaner, you know, we, I mean, it just shows how, you know, the system is skewed against, people who don't have money. Oh yeah. I mean, especially when you're a child, like, uh, if you, if you, it's so sad because if you don't know how to present yourself in court, uh, with any child custody battle or hearing, um, it, it's very tough. I mean, you don't just get free lawyers, right? Someone like right. You get That's a cut. How that works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, and sometimes you can't present evidence unless you know how to, and there's big right. avenues for that. And I was highly advised not to represent myself in court because I could end up losing everything based on being a homeless 16 year old. Oh, and this is, I mean, a comment from Cajun says literally everyone who's supposed to love and support you and every system that should protect you failed you reprehensible, completely true. And Jill says uh, becoming a parent yourself, helped you think of yourself as a child at 14, which is probably yeah. also accurate. Uh, Patty's asking how old your daughter is now. Um, the same age I was when wow. I became a baby. Yeah. And that's part of the reason. I mean, there's uh, so many reasons why this is just happening now, but seeing my, my daughter at 14, um, it sits worse with me. The older she got, it's at worse with me and worse and worse because um, I look at her and like, if a 24 year old man, and she came to me and said, I lost my virginity to a 24 year old man. Uh, it, I'm, I'm sure I would be in prison by that time. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, there's just no way there's, there's just no way in my right mind that I could just not be like, what do we, what do we do to protect you from this person for the rest of your life? I don't care if you would have a baby with this person. Like I'll take care of your baby with you. Like I'll support you. I'm your parent and I'll make sure he doesn't come within one state of you ever again. Like that's, that's how I feel 
as she's gotten older and it just breaks my heart even more. And it's hard because when you have, I mean, if anybody here had a teenage daughter, you know, imagining, imagining looking her in the eye and being like, you're going to have to co-parent with your rapist for the next 18 years. I mean, and that happens to so many people. That happens to so many girls. Um, I reached out to an organization. It's called Unchained at Last. It's for um, child rape uh, or child brides. And most of them are married to men who are over 18 or way over 18. And they have to deal with the same thing. And, and most of them don't even get their situations to the court system because there's so many laws in the United States say you have a two year statutory uh, statutes of limitations, right? So before you can even process what happened to you, you have to report it, you know, um, especially if your parents or your family is part of the problem. Sometimes that can take years, you know, to even try to come forward and say something about. Um, there are limitations on, um, if you get married, you can never press charges. And that's why I was told that at a very young age, because that is a law in so many of our states that if you do get married, you can't, you know? So the incentive is set up to have victims of child rape, then essentially child marry so that the rapist does not get punished. That's the way the system is set up. And is that why he's not facing jail time is because you guys got married back then? I think that's part of the reason is everybody was like, oh, they were happily married. And it was like, well, also you got to understand like Stockholm syndrome and things. Yeah. So it doesn't even matter if I was, you know, to totally for it and in love or whatever at one point and then decided, oh my God, what yeah. happened to me was wrong. It doesn't matter. I was a child. <laughs> To, like, man, my child wanted to shave half of her eyebrow the other day because she thought it was cool. Like, right. I don't let our children make bad decisions for themselves. Um, right. So many people seeing this story have said there's no such thing as consensual sex when you're 14 years old. Oh, I told That's, I would wonder what you feel about that statement. I would totally agree. I mean, I didn't even know. Like I had to look online to see if I actually had sex or not, because I had no idea. Like I knew what it was and I knew what happened, but I was like, to wait, because, you know, TMI, but most of the time, the first time isn't like, you know, um, pretty able. If I, I don't sure. Know. Yes. Like, you know, I'm like, what happened? Right. Was that even sex? Yeah, I, I think we've we've all been there. I personally can say I have as well. Uh, <laughs> um, yes. So how did you guys get to Tennessee? I, I'm trying to get to now the part of the story where you both somehow live in Tennessee and then have now, I guess, decided to press charges recently or how, where, how did the legal proceedings get restarted? That's a good question. So when I was 19 years old, 18, 19, um, I moved to Tennessee um, with Olivia by myself. 
and lived in Tennessee. Were you allowed to do that? Yeah, I was allowed to do that. Um, So when um, that happened, she had gone a year without seeing her dad. A total year, you know. Um, By his choice, your choice, nobody's choice. I mean, he just never came. Um, He didn't care. I, I think it was more about money than it was about okay. his own kid, honestly, but I, I can't, I can't say why, okay. but after a year, um, I was going through some financial hardships and she had not seen her dad for the summer. He was supposed to send her down. Um, she was going to be visiting her grandma and her grandpa and her other grandmas and her other grandpas. Um, so a whole family. And I was like, well, you know, I need to figure out some stuff. She's going to visit you for the summer. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to finish school. We're going back to Tennessee after. Um, and that's how, that's how we all ended up. Cause he knew that I lived there. So then I think he decided that he wanted to be close to his daughter. Um, he ended up getting a job. So I'm not sure why he decided to move to Tennessee, but I think it was part of that is that he wanted that and he wanted to, to, to take control of um, our custody at that time. So it was very complicated. So um, he then tried to get custody of her? Yeah, in Alabama. Um, so while she was visiting in uh, for the summer, I don't know what he said about me, but it should have never take place in Alabama. I was a Tennessee resident as primary parent in Tennessee. So it should have been in Tennessee, but it happened in Alabama because I don't know. He said I was like, I didn't have a place to live or I was absent or something like that while I was there. So I never got a notice or anything. And so they treated him like um, a normal dad. And was like, well, she's not here. Here you go. Uh, I do remember signing something for school, like for her to go to a preschool during the summer. But I don't know if what I signed was what I think I signed. So So Alabama tries to award him sole custody in Alabama Mm -hmm. of your child Mm -hmm. while she's supposed to be down there for the summer. Mm -hmm. And then he calls you and says, I have custody of our daughter now. I didn't even know. So how did you find that out? That's crazy. (laughs) Um, the parenting plan was never transferred over to Tennessee. And I was also like 20 years old. I was 20, 21. Um, and he said, well, you know, he was like, I'm going to need your help signing this so that she could go to preschool, um, in your mom's district. And I was like, I think that's good. She was diagnosed with uh, autism when she was two. So education and ABA therapy, occupational therapy was very, very important to keep her. So I was like, whatever we have to do to make sure that she stays in school, we will. But I didn't understand law and I didn't understand that uh, with schooling because she had never been in kindergarten or anything like that yet, what the process was for that. So when I thought I was signing something for her to go to school there, I think what I signed was something totally different. So mm-hmm. then in 2020, he never transfers the parenting plan in 2020 out of the blue. Um, you know, we're on autopilot parenting. I'm dealing with his wife for years. I don't even deal with Jason for years. Like I'm dealing, I'm co-parenting with his wife because I don't want to deal with him as much as possible. I'd rather deal with a person who hasn't hurt me than yeah. a 
who has, you know, um, autopilot co-parenting. And remember, like, I'm under the impression I can never press charges. So uh, years and years of acceptance and years and years of I have to do this. I have no choice. Comes to Tennessee after 10 years or eight to 10 years, he's never transferred over our parenting plan. And out of the blue, after our daughter um, in 2020, unfortunately, um, attempted suicide. And it was just totally out of the blue. Um, then having to deal with this person, deal with Jason again. And then he submits this parent, uh, this custody order, trying to take her completely away from me, uh, which he was successful for, for about a couple weeks until the judge said, no, you guys are still going to have joint custody. But I tried to be like, why is this person in court? Why is this person able to? I can show you that he is an unregistered sex offender. I can show you that I'm a victim. You can put his age and my age together in the age of our child. How could you show them that by the age of your child? Yeah, with her birth certificate. It's okay. a age, my age, her age. And I was like, I was 15. He was 25. I had my daughter when I was 16. Mm -hmm. I was like, why? I, I want to fight this. I was like, this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be happening anymore. Um, so yeah. just, just real quick, in the TV clip that we saw, his lawyer says that this is only happening because you want custody, but you're saying what triggered this was him wanting custody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He tried to file that parenting plan over. So what he said was, what he said was me wanting custody. And I'm like, no, I want what my rights are here in Tennessee because it's the law in Tennessee or there are laws here that say if there is a child as a product of second degree rape, that the perpetrator cannot have custody over that because they should not have power over their victim, but they can have visitation if allowed. And that's what we were trying to present. It's like, Hey, you know, after all these years and growing up and becoming an adult and realizing what my rights are, this shouldn't be happening anymore. And they're like, well, we're not going to recognize you as a victim because he was never convicted. So is there a statute of limitations? Like, why is this not, not why is this guy not a child rapist? That's what I'm having trouble understanding. There's no statute of limitations. Um, there is or there wasn't? There's not. Um, so well, what's the issue? Well, in 2020, I consulted with other attorneys and they also told me, they said, hey, you know, you can't be recognized as a victim because he was never convicted. And because you guys got married, you can't press charges. And I'm like, okay. And then I had some people stand behind me and say, no, Ash, I think you're wrong. I think they're wrong. I'm going to hook you up with some people. You need to talk with this detective. They are not correct. And I was like, well, if I've been told all these years that I can't press charges and I can that is something that I'm going to seriously consider, not because of custody, but because it is my right to be respected as a victim. Yeah. And if I don't have to live under the control of this person further, I don't want to. Um, and that took a lot. Um, it took a lot also because part of pressing charges was make, uh, you know, my relationship with my mother would be gone forever. Um, that was a very, very hard decision. So when I found out I could press charges, I thought about it and I was like, well, I want to be respected as a victim. 
and the courts are not allowing it, you know, and it just hurt even more uh, when we were in um, our custody hearing about education rights, you know, I mentioned that Jason had gotten me pregnant at 15 and that I was a victim of statutory rape. And he said that he thought I was 18. Um, Who said that Jason did? Yes. In court? <laughs> in, court. in court. And it just, it just stuck. Yeah, that's contempt of court stuck, right there. He, it just stuck the knife in me further. Like after all of these years, you're not only trying to take my child from me that I have totally been 50, 50 with and been an, a mother and been the best that I could, but you're also lying. I'm sorry, lying and saying that you thought I was 18. That you're not guilty. That's what he said. He said, I'm not guilty. And I'm like, if you're not guilty, you're not sorry. And that is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why somebody said, Patty said, she'd be afraid to leave her daughter alone with him. Do you ever think about that? I, I have thought about that. But his wife, um, I have never had a problem with her. She's a very sweet person. I think that he, that's the story that he told her that he thought I was 18. Wow. You know, all of these things. So I think that she had a lot of like, I guess, understanding or something back then. But um, because she was there all of the time and mainly taking the forefront of taking care of the kids um, when you know, my kid was with them, that I felt more comfortable um, because she was the same age he was. And she was always there. But that, I feel, is my mistake over the years. That I had not been so okay with it. But pressure from family, pressure from saying anything, not having any money to fight it um, was all other factors and considerations. So I think I tried to convince myself that, you know, watchful, but I felt better about it because she was there. Now, if she wasn't there, it would be a totally different scenario. Right. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> one thing is occurring to me right now, and I, I want to get to like just where things are and how people can help. But what's occurring to me right now is this issue of if you marry your rapist, he doesn't go to jail. Uh, I don't know if that's the law in Tennessee also, but Knowing that that's the law in Alabama. No, it's not. It's not the law in Tennessee, but it is the law in Alabama. So it's not. It's not the law in Alabama anymore either? Uh, it wasn't the law back then. Like he is, So it's not the law at all? No. They've just told you that was the law? They told me that forever ago, not recently. Um, I was under the age of consent, you know. So regardless if we got married after the fact, doesn't matter. Um, so it never mattered? Mm -mm. It never mattered. He should wow. be guilty okay. of the crime. Right. So how can they find him guilty of, uh, you know, enough to basically give him probation or parole or whatever, but not enough to do jail time? That That's confusing. If he's guilty, he's guilty. Yes. I mean, that's uh, and I will never be respected as a victim of statutory rape by the court or the legal system because he's not convicted and guilty of that. Gotcha. Okay. And where is it right now? Where do things stand right now? 
Um, I've been told it's over. It's over. Okay. So he is essentially not going to do jail time. He's on probation and you are now sharing custody with him. Still no, uh, child support. Still no child support. No, no child support. Um, and he also right now holds educational rights. So he decides on our education Mm -hmm. and does she live in Hendersonville or Nashville? Where does she go to school? And uh, she goes to school in Hendersonville. In Hendersonville. So she spends most of her time with him? No, she spends uh, one week on, one week off is, is our, our okay. court-ordered uh, schedule. Well, I think the <clears throat> not going to be listed as a sexual abuser, no, that's we've established that he's not going to be on any list. Um, I, I think, you know, the the first of all, I just want to say you sharing your story is – really valiant and brave and helpful to so many people, people I don't even think you'll ever even realize, you know, and, and so very commendable for you to be willing to talk about it this way. And I really appreciate it. And I know everybody watching does too. Um, what would you most like to see come out of the awareness that you are uh, creating right now? And, you know, if people are going to be helpful, how can they help you? Um, I think creating awareness, um, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what help can be, you know, I'm always looking for, I have representation, but I'm always looking for, you know, people who are very, very passionate about my situation because it's always been, you know, kind of an uphill battle. It's very expensive. I probably spent mm -hmm. over 20 grand just trying to say, Hey, uh, unregistered sex offenders shouldn't have educational rights in our school system, but yeah. apparently that's not um, taken as seriously. Right. Um, I think that it is just creating awareness and, you know, encouraging and helping other people who might be going through something similar or who had, you know, you know, might be in something similar for, their family or community say something, regardless if the parents are okay with it or not. Something needs to be said because it will give the victims a bit more ground to do something early on in their life, um, to take a stand, to claim their rights, to make sure they get a handle on their children early on, regardless of their age. Um, so, just creating awareness, you know, um, especially about this story so that it can help other people. I mean, I think the thing that I get angry about when I think about this story most is just anger with your parents. I mean, they, they really let you down here in so many different ways uh, initially and then in the follow-up and pushing you to marry him and, you know, not helping you figure out what your legal rights were and just so many different ways. So I can't imagine the resentment that you, you must harbor. Uh, and, you know, hopefully, you know, I, I know I can already see that you're going to protect your own daughter from anything like that, but, you know, hopefully seeing this lets people know that there are situations like this out there and, you know, when they happen, they, they need to support the, the daughter in this scenario. I mean, that's, that's the main thing is that it seems like everybody rallied around him and <clears throat> whether, you know, what, what kind of culture protects a rapist more than the victim? And I think we see that 
even in our laws here, like not the fictitious laws that you were told about, but we have lawmakers here pushing for, you know, so many different protections for, for rapists, frankly. And there's even a child sex abuser legislator who apologized on tape to one of three women who say he uh, abused them when he was their coach in high school. His name is Representative David Byrd. So your story is not uncommon. And uh, I just, I, I, I thank you for your bravery. And I, I hope that your parents understand how badly they failed you. Yeah, um, I have definitely had a lot of reconciliation with um, my my father. Um, he was in the military, so he was gone a lot. Um, so the main um, person that it was my mother, and you know, I I still don't understand. You know, still to this day, you know, she's adopted. Jason and his family as her family. Um, my Your mother has? Oh, yeah. Um, so the past trial, you know, she flew in just to stay at his home in case she needed to speak at his trial for him. You know, his wife was her maid of honor in her wedding um, a year ago. Wow. Um, my mother throughout the years has gone and stayed with Jason while visiting um, my daughter versus me. Um, sent, you know, Christmas gifts to his house instead of mine. Um, wow. I wouldn't be surprised if she was, you know, trying to pay for his attorney fees too. Like I don't understand, but yeah, there's a lot of people out there. You know, I understand too, that my mom has been diagnosed with some pretty severe mental health disorders. So I have a lot of I have a lot of understanding and peace about, you know, not understanding why, but also having the ability to move on and to not hold resentment because that letting that resentment go does no longer lets it have power over me, you know? Right. That's, that's true. That, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of power in <clears throat> letting it go. Uh, appreciate you doing this. Yeah. I know that you're a actress and musician. Can people hear your music somewhere? Like, can we share that link for you, direct people to that site for you so people can hear your stuff? Oh man. Um, it's been years since I've put out anything. It was oh, you haven't put out anything. Okay. I was, I, wanna, um, if you do, um, let us know. We'll help share it. Yeah. Um, I do have an IMDB page though for my acting things. Um, okay. The films and TV shows that I've been in for that. Um, and it's just Ashley Pereira. Um, and you can find me on there. Um, I love Nashville. I love being here and I love Tennessee. And I hope that, um, all of you out there can help other people like me. And, you know, it's good to be knowledgeable and informed of what's going on so that people will be more apt to get into politics and to, you know, look, look at the people that they're voting for, you know, and look at, you know, defending these rights for these people. So, um, but I think my Twitter handle is T H E A S H E I R A the Ashera. Uh, okay. First half of my first name, last half of my last name. Um, and that's. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna pull a clip from this, and I'll make sure to tag your Twitter handle in that and get it from you. But Ashley, I really appreciate you coming on here, doing it. Stay in touch with us. Let us know if we can be useful or helpful in any way. And, uh, you know, on behalf of everybody that hollers with us, you know, who just sharing your story is going to help people in ways you'll never even really know. So thank you for doing it.
Yeah. And, uh, and, and really appreciate you being here with us. All right. Thank you. Tennessee. 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 Tennessee.